Welcome to Telltales episode 2409. This is the ninth episode of the year, and we will discuss artificial intelligence today, specifically Klarna and how they replace 700 people uh, with artificial intelligence. We'll discuss Gemini and the blunders that they've experienced in the rollout of the new Gemini model. We'll also discuss Lily and how their IT budget has uh, expanded as a result of internal demand for AI tools. Uh, as usual, we'll cover energy up front, uh, some interesting insights from Hunt on how uh, potentially could shut in some of the gas supply, which would be positive for gas prices. Um, and the other big thing that we'll be following in the news in the next couple of weeks is the U.S. government shutdown and negotiations over the budget. So tune in and uh, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. We got Jason plugged in. We sure do. I'm here as well. Yep. Hey, Jason. Hey. Uh, Jason, we have, uh, well, for everyone on the phone, we have a pretty uh, extensive agenda to cover today. I'm going to quick on uh, on the oil and gas side. On Exhibit C, really not too much to report. WTI is hanging in the 76, 77 range. I caution every week Saudi Arabia and the Emirates UAE have maybe as much as four million barrels a day that they could produce, which would tend to send the market into a tailspin. But so far, they've been very disciplined. On natural gas, same situation, oversupplied. We're on Exhibit B. The estimate here for 24 production is 104, and we were running 105, 106 earlier. I think that has come down to the 102, 103 range. I think one of the reasons it's come down is gas prices have gotten so cheap that I think some wells in the Marcellus are being uh, uh, shut in. The Marcellus, the most producing formation, certainly along the Gulf Coast where you have a water drive and whatnot, you'd hesitate to shut in a well or you'd try almost you know, a lot of different alternatives before you shut it in. And the Marcellus, the wells have pressure buildups, and you're probably adding to reserves. So I think of the Marcellus, which, as you can see from the gas supply, is 35 Bs last year out of 102. Uh, it's kind of a big reservoir. And to the extent that there isn't enough storage space to handle the gas, I think some of the operators shutting wells in the Marcellus would be the way to uh, handle it. But Gas prices could get cheaper. I mean, you're currently now around buck sixty. I mean, you could get in May June period, you know, gas prices of ridiculous numbers, you know, eighty or ninety cents. But I think that that the old saw that the best solution for low prices is low prices will probably prevail. On the U.S. government revenues and expenses, <clears throat> this will be uh, a week of adventure because. 
on March 1, unless there's some continuing resolution, a stopgap. The government will have to start shutting down certain departments. President and the congressional leaders were uh, spent an hour yesterday in the Oval Office. Hopefully they have a plan that they'll execute, but it's certainly going to be newsworthy towards the end of the week. With that, in recent Wednesdays, we covered 20 pages from the back. Last week, I took an extra five or six minutes and covered the energy pages. I don't see anything new in energy. And I think we'd like to get to the front of the memo and basically focus on how the market for generative AI or large language models is going to develop. Because to the extent that the market doesn't develop, at some point, the hyperscalers, as they call them, Microsoft and Amazon and whatnot, will have enough GPUs. And NVIDIA, which has gone from being a, you know, a five or $600 million equity cap, has gone through to a $2 trillion based on doing $40 billion a year of, of free cash flow, benefiting from those 8% margins. But at some point, unless people find a lot of uses, or generative AI, and it can't just be uses that come through Microsoft and Amazon and Oracle. They, they, I think, in order to sustain this kind of activity, it's going to have to come from people setting up their own servers built on GPUs. And with that, Mike and I, Jason, have been talking about this the last couple of mornings, so I think the best thing for Mike and I to do is to turn it over to you for comment on how you think next year, but the next three, four or five years will go in terms of the application of AI technology to enough uses so that people will want their own their own server farms with their own pile of GPUs. Yeah, so actually just just this morning we saw the, the first news of, of like a real tangible value add use of generative AI. Um, and, and that news came out of Klarna. Um, and what they were able to do is, is using OpenAI's um, virtual assistants, they replaced 700 of their customer service representatives with essentially generative AI chatbots. Um, and, and they've run that experiment for, it sounded like the last quarter, and the AI chatbots received the same level of um, uh, complaint resolution and customer service feedback as the human workforce. So it, it sounds like they've went forward and replaced the entirety of their, their customer service um, organization with, with AI. Um, so if you extrapolate that out to, you know, that's kind of the low hanging fruit with chat applications is, is replacing customer service. And we've, we've talked about that as, as one of the, one of the early use cases for this um, in the past. And, and if you extrapolate that out, to, I, I don't know how many people work in that industry, but um, you know, it might be a it might be a job that goes away in the in the near term. It'd be yeah. interesting to know the metric of how many resources, compute resources, to replace that seven hundred would yeah. be. But all they said was they they see it saving them forty million dollars this year. So the cost of operating this AI versus hiring physical staff, and it's seven hundred. They say the AI agent did the equivalent work of 700 staff, so it's pretty impressive. Don't mean to be 
too macro, but hasn't a lot of that business migrated to places like India, English speaking speaking places in the Far East? Yeah, India, Philippines, Philippines especially because the English is a little more similar to um, right. to ours. So. The interesting thing about these innovations is if you go back in time and look at all the prior innovations that kind of really disrupted the way people work, um, either of those people end up going and working on different things or what also can happen is it can create actually more demand for the product. So in this case, customer support, you could see companies that previously didn't offer good customer support now capable of offering much better customer support, maybe employing one physical person, but uh, the equivalent of a hundred agents or, you know, some, some, something like that. So we um, can hope the telecoms adopt this real soon. Yeah. Telecoms, cable companies, I think of all the things with horrible customer service um, that, you know, it's all low, low hanging fruit for all of them. So. All right. Another entity that's kind of bragged how many GPUs they've accumulated is Facebook or Meta. We've talked a lot in past Wednesdays about Copilot, how Microsoft plans to get $20 a month or $30 a month from using that. How does Meta monetize having a lot of GPUs, which presumably they run in their own centers, not, not be dependent on, uh, you know, on uh, and these other microscalers. How, how, how does that work? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, Apple uh, kind of ended the practice of allowing Meta to track a user across the internet from one app to the next and to websites and, and the like uh, for the purpose of showing an ad, clicking through an ad, and ultimately ended up at a purchase. So they could, they could attribute that purchase back to the ad that was shown to the user. Um, Apple ended that, and we saw Facebook's revenue drop dramatically. Uh, they they couldn't prove to their the advertisers that their their ads were working, and they thus they couldn't charge the the premiums. So they've been they've been building and deploying these AI machine learning algorithms uh, in order to do that ad tracking and anticipate the ad tracking back to the the user. Uh, without explicitly tracking you across the internet. So it, it can do things like, you know, at, at a very high level, bucket users of a, of a profile type into uh, being shown particular ads as, as they are most likely to click through on that ad. Um, so instead of actually tracking the user, they're, they're doing a lot more predictive kind of things. Um, so not, not along the lines of generative AI, really, but it's, it's a form of artificial intelligence. And they've they've been successfully monetizing that for the last year, right? And, so. and you you heard in the Nvidia call that um, Jensen talked about recommender systems, and that's what these are. These are recommender systems. At the end of the day, um, and and so it, it is interesting that what we're seeing is wide scale implementation of older versions of artificial intelligence that are having business value, and these newer versions, the large language models, were still in the early phases of figuring out what works. 
right? I, I imagine Amazon and all the other uh, online marketplaces are deploying similar technology to, to recommend you products. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. This is not an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. And now, back to the show. Gemini and Google have been in the news. Once again, Jason, Mike, and I have been talking about it mornings, but how embarrassing or what lower level of competence or management or whatnot does this indicate is going on around Google? Mike said an interesting thing. He said this is, this is being discussed, you know, digital news sources and, and specialized podcasts and whatnot. It isn't making the major news organizations, but I mean, that'll change, I think, because it, it just, if, if you're a, a Google board member or a stockholder or whatnot, it's just, just kind of embarrassing. But over to you. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's hugely embarrassing and it's, it's, they rebranded um, Google Bard, which in my opinion was like the worst branding exercise in, in software history. Um, into Google Gemini, and I think they're going to have to rebrand it again. Uh, so the first, the first uh, impression of Gemini is, was released last Monday and taken off the market by Friday. Um, so, so what it did was, on the text chat side, um, it's very similar to ChatGPT. So on the, on the chat side, um, if you chose a politically charged um, uh, argument, that's that's in the news. Maybe you could use an example there, Jason. Oh, I don't want to give examples. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I think the one like who who is uh, done who has been more of a scourge on humanity. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't thinking Stalin that right or Elon Musk. You know, like yeah, it, it couldn't tell you who was worse for humanity out of those two. Um, but also, if, if you took like a some other politically charged topic and you asked it to formulate an argument on one side, it would happily do so. And then if you ask it to formulate an argument for the other side that's not politically aligned with most of the Googlers, it would refuse to, to do it. Uh, likewise, on image generation, in order to correct for racial biases in, in the training data, uh, the end result is the algorithm basically would not generate a picture of a white male. Um, and the consequence of this was historical inaccuracies when you asked it for, for different things, like the, the British monarchy being of African descent or, or Asian men making up the, the Nazi army. Um, so those are really bad looks for Google, uh, and it, it's destroyed the trust in the algorithm. And worse is they've said they've baked this, they're baking it in Android, which is going to be released later this year. So the trust level there is, is gone. And, and Mike and I have been discussing this and, and comparing it to, to an Orwellian state. Is there, you know, essentially in, in this case, they've changed history. Um, so it's kind of dystopian take, but they are, you know, they're the arbiter of 
seeking knowledge on the internet. Everyone starts at Google. So if now you can't trust Google to give you the correct, the correct view of whatever you're looking up, it can't give you the facts, especially if you're looking up history. Um, are you going to trust Google going forward if they integrate more AI tools? Yeah, I think they've fallen far away from their original stated mission of indexing all the world and uh, the world's information and making it available. Um, a question that should be asked is how did this happen, right? Because there are some really cool things about the Gemini model, right? They have a context window that's significantly larger than anybody else's. They have um, some very good technological innovations in this model, but the actual implementation ended up horrible. Kind of the naive take we've seen in the news is uh, the prompt, the, the input prompt to the, to the chatbot, to the algorithm, um, was biased to, to do what, it's, what everyone's seen it do. Um, I think that's not the correct answer. Um, if, if it was just a matter of changing the prompt, the inputs, they could have corrected that in a day. Um, and, and they haven't. So they've taken it off the market and it's going to remain off the market. And if you try to use, now, use it now today, um, it'll tell you it's unavailable and they'll, you know, it'll be available sometime in the future. So when we talk about AI and machine learning, we, we forget that there's a lot of, or we neglect to, to reference that there's a lot of human handholding in the process. Um, so we call it reinforcement learning. And what that, what that really means is the algorithm is generating an answer based on some inputs and a human is actually saying this was a good answer or a bad answer, and here's how you should change it, um, and, and driving the learning. So Mike and I have talked through this, and is, if it's not the prompt, it could either be a bad data set that it was trained on or the reinforcement learning was, was done in a manner to produce this result. So we don't think it's bad data. Um, they, it's kind of a stretch to say they went out and they, they trained it only on you know one side of an argument or only images or no, of certain types. No, yeah, exactly, <laughs> that would be kind of hard to train a model with. Or finding only only uh, articles that compared Elon to Stalin, you know, or something like that. So, so we don't think it's bad data. And what that means is someone directed the the team of people doing the reinforcement learning to produce these results. And that process is time consuming and it involved organizing hundreds or thousands of people to do this. Um, and they're probably relatively, um, I imagine they're, they're kind of lower skill employees probably offshore doing that. They're putting in prompts and saying, yes, good, no, bad. Based on a stated set of values that right. they're being directed to answer questions based on. So it's a, it's a, you know, the way it's I see a, it, it's the, a the engineers problem. did a great job. <laughs> the policy and safety team or whatever just completely bungled it. Um, and, and which is why I think if you're going to turn this around, you need to go in and cut staff dramatically, remove 50% and uh, start over, if you will. But we've, just, we've heard for years now, you know, like the employees driving the cor corporate decisions at Google and and the culture there has changed dramatically. And uh, how do you change that? That's, that's the identity of, of the staff there. Right. I'm curious because you people are, are you know, much, much closer to the industry than me or, or most of the people on the phone. How does that happen at Google and it doesn't happen at, at, chat, uh, at 
GPT uh, or OpenAI? Um, is it is it just that Google's been there longer and has accumulated these people, or how? What's your how would you characterize the that OpenAI doesn't seem to have the same problem with? Yeah, I, I think Google just has too many people with not enough to do. Um, <laughs> I, I, think about it. If you're OpenAI, OpenAI technically, until very recently, has been running on a shoestring budget, and all the resources have gone into engineering. Only recently have they had even the availability of additional financing. Google has sort of grown fat and happy on their search business, which has allowed them to dabble in things that have maybe not directly tied to the mission of the business. Um, so I, I think this should be a wake up call, hopefully for other businesses and just kind of see where, how bad things can get. Um, you know, people are calling for Sundar to be replaced. I think it's going to take a lot more than just replacing a CEO to solve this problem because it's cultural. Right. Why don't we, for the seven or eight minutes more we have, we spent a lot of time on, uh, uh, AI, why don't we switch to healthcare? And just to introduce the subject, there's an article in the paper this morning about the uh, head of IT at Lilly who went into his year-end budget meetings and walked away with twice as much money for his budget than he asked for because all the other people in the meeting wanted more AI. Uh, Mike, you and Jason said, oh, many Wednesdays ago, a pharmaceutical research, you know, very hired employees, very concerned about being secure, might want to have their own data center with their own set of GPUs. I guess Lily would be in that category. I think I remember from reading BioNTech interim reports that BioNTech acquired a entity in the UK and about 200 engineers and had their own servers uh, with stacks of GPUs. How prevalent? I mean, if we're trying to say, what is will NVIDIA or in the case that Intel or AMD or someone starts to catch up? I mean, the, the, the chip business is cyclical. It has, has the demand not only from the Amazons and Microsofts, will the demand extend and become more wide-based so that the we, we don't want to say that Chip business isn't cyclical, but will, will this cycle last a lot longer because of people just wanting their own their, for security reasons or, or because they want to write their own algorithms or whatnot, they want their own set of GPUs available to them? Yeah, I think the short answer is the market is, is widening dramatically. Um, I think I'll, I'll start by saying we've, we've talked about the cost of doing a, an inference answer for a, a Google query uh, versus Google presenting you the 10 blue links and just doing a search. Uh, and the cost is probably 10x to, to provide you an AI-generated answer. So there's a lot more compute involved with AI. And we're going to dramatically increase the, the amount of uh, problems that AI is going to solve. So the market is huge, right? We're, gonna, we're replacing a lot of CPU compute with GPU compute, and we're going to need a lot more of it. In the case of, of the pharma companies wanting to build their own, I think they absolutely will. That's not to say that cloud computing isn't, 
isn't very secure. You know, when you're in the hyperscalers, it's probably more secure than running your own data center. Uh, they're handling all the security for you, and as long as you set it up properly, uh, the, they don't want to be in the business where they have to deal with security breaches and then lose trust of all their customers. So they take it extremely seriously. Uh, but if you're, if you're a pharma company and you're developing compounds for new drugs, you're not going to want to take any chances that that's out on someone else's server that you don't own. Um, you know, that, that could be your next blockbuster drug and you don't want anyone else being able to access it, especially when we don't know how the AI is, is uh, training, training itself constantly. So you don't want to be in a case, I don't think it would happen, but you don't want to be in a case where your competitor can ask, oh, what kind of compound would solve XYZ problem? And then the compound that you've worked on and it's your IP all of a sudden shows up as an answer on your competitor's query. Uh, I don't believe that would happen with how, how they're building these systems, but you know, that's the impression and no one wants to take that risk. Yeah, it definitely could, right? I mean, if it's part of it the could. training data. Right, that, so. that is shared, right? But they're setting it up where you get your own enclave, but. I think the takeaway from that article, though, is that everybody, whether you're Jason and I or you're a Fortune 500 vice president, you're seeing all this stuff that's happening with AI. It's in the news. It's, you're saying how, and, and then you got to ask yourself is like, how can I use this new technology to help make my department, my business, my hobby better than it was before? Um, and so I think you're seeing, you know, uh, this concept is you know, previously AI was sort of this esoteric, really complex computer nerd software thing. And now it's this thing that you can just type a question into. So it's becoming more accessible. So I, I think, you know, if you're Lily, most of your drug development programs have to be looking at this, but you're probably also seeing other parts of the business that are saying, hey, we could use AI for this, that, and the other too. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about chat RTX from NVIDIA? Yeah, I mean, well, I think, well, the high-level background in chat RTX is really just that you can run a local large language model on your machine and provide it with your own documents. Yeah, so you've, hear, you've heard, oh, who, was, who was the first one saying it? I think AMD brought it up um, about AI laptops. And it's a very vague idea right now, and I don't, I don't think they have a real concept of what that product is, but NVIDIA does. And if you have an NVIDIA GPU in your laptop, all of a sudden now all the documents and all the contents of those documents become interactive through a chat, a chat interface. Right, and, and that's one thing where Jason and I have said, we'll shoot all of our notes on all the research we do on companies is in text. Why not just load all that into? Um, into a server running a, a you know a RTX forty ninety card or whatever, and have maybe a supercharged uh, um, research process. It could you know so so it's forcing you to rethink the processes um, that you exist you currently have and see how you can take advantage of the new technology. You know, it occurs to me we're almost through our thirty minutes, but it occurs to me that for a pharma company recruiting scientists or recent graduates or what have you, you may have to give them access to their own dedicated server based on GPUs 
in order to be competitive in terms of hiring people or, or hanging on to high-performing people and not having them be hired away somewhere else. I saw an interesting article this week for, you know, it related to trying to retain people. Apparently, NVIDIA has, not just recently, but for quite some time, gone along when NVIDIA engineers wanted to strike out and do something else and, for example, participate in a startup. But if the startup didn't work or it did work or they didn't get on with their co co-workers in a startup, they, the expression, according to a NVIDIA employee, was boomerang employees. They, they'd come back to NVIDIA after 12, 18, 24 months well, uh, and either go back to what they were doing for NVIDIA or be put, since everything moves along pretty quickly, be put in on an entirely new project. It, it just seems to me that from a recruitment, both hanging on to people and recruiting people, I can see a lot more GPUs being required than, you know, just thinking, oh, my goodness, how big can data center budgets be? I mean, how much money can Microsoft or Amazon or Google or Oracle actually commit out of their cash flow? We started out with that as a discussion, you know, is this a one or two year thing and it'll start to decline or is it, you know, a three or four or five year thing where cyclicality and in-chip design and manufacture will be kind of a thing of the past for a while. I mean, sooner or later, the cyclicality will come back. If, why don't each of you, just to finish off, say is you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, when 10 would be very optimistic, where would you be on that scale of 1 to 10 about seeing five years of growth in uh, acquiring and deploying GPUs? Jason, why don't you go first? Would you be a 9 or a 10, or would you more towards the middle, a six or a seven, on getting five years of increasing uh, GPU production. I was thinking eight. <laughs> so higher, higher end. Um, yeah, I was about at eight too, but mainly just recognizing the fact that at some point, if we have an economic downturn, some things will have to get cut. And I think it'd be foolish to not assume that the stuff that isn't making money yet is probably going to be on the chopping block. This is, remember, a lot of this is we're still in the mess around and find out stage. where We try some things and it costs us some CapEx to get the machine and do the code. Um, but give it a year, right? And we'll see a lot more of these Klarna style stories coming out and probably a big shift in in workforce, in workforce productivity. So well, I'll, maybe I'll go to a nine. So if there is a downturn and they have to cut staff, <laughs> they're going to replace it with AI. <laughs> it could be. I mean, if they've proven it out, it's, it's a clear, mm-hmm. you know, it's a clear use case. I, I think I'd be towards the high end too, because, you know, it, it's so much of whether, whether it's, you know, finding a compound, discovering a new drug or what NVIDIA does, uh, developments of software and chip design and whatnot, it's got to be the case that if you have 100 engineers, there are five or 10 of them that you just really can't lose. And to keep those five or 10 happy, you may have to, you know, put more money, more of your cash flow, more of your, what otherwise would be free cash flow into, uh, into accumulating GPUs. And, you know, it's, 
it could be in time that the GPUs will come out of China or somehow uh, Intel will catch up or AMD. And, and so it isn't necessarily all related to NVIDIA. But NVIDIA has such a, a, a head start. One thing you worry about NVIDIA is, oh, my goodness, in 25 or 26, half as many GPUs will re- be required. And uh, uh, you guys don't get to be an eight or a nine if you think that's a real possibility. I don't think that's a real possibility. I think the the concept that with the technological innovation, I think AI is one of those things that more begets more uh, because it opens up new use cases. And as it advances, we'll have more and more use cases. Well, it's like like the internet when everyone had internet connectivity. Mm -hmm. Right. And when speeds got faster, people used it more, not, not, not less. Yeah, I think the danger to NVIDIA is on the inference side. If there's a new breakthrough, a new technology to, to do the inference of these models, um, that could disrupt that side of their market. But on the training side, it, it seems pretty safe, at least in the medium term. All right. All right. Good. Well, we've run three or four minutes over, and we promise everyone on the phone that we spent a lot of time on this subject. This, this weekend, we'll, we'll kind of hide that down to like five minutes next week and cover more diversified uh, set of investments. Take care, everyone. Be well and stay healthy. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again next week as we will be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. 